Almighty God, your son fasted 40 days in the wilderness and was tempted as we are yet without sin. As we are formed by your word today, give us grace to discipline ourselves in obedience to your spirit. You know our weakness, so may we know your power to save. In Christ's name, amen. Our gospel text, the first 13 verses of the fourth chapter of the book of Luke. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those 40 days. And when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him an in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world and the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all this authority for it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh Lord, may our thoughts and may my words be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you see that today's sermon title asks a question. Did you quote Deuteronomy? Well, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. This is what you call a rhetorical question. <laughs> but let me put it this way. Me neither. At least, not directly. The parts of Deuteronomy that, are most, that most of us can quote are Jesus' three responses to the tempter in the desert. All three of those responses come from that fifth book of the Hebrew Bible we call the Old Testament. And even when the tempter pulls out a couple of verses from Psalm 91 to tempt Jesus, that for it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you to protect you and so on. Jesus comes back with another verse from Deuteronomy. Well, wait, wait, don't get ahead of me. I'm not suggesting that you try to memorize all those long sermons by Moses that make up Deuteronomy. Because as a smart preacher I, I knew used to say, we vastly overestimate ourselves if we dare to think that we can know what Jesus would do and that we would have the strength, the gumption, the will to do it. 
Now, as a Minnesota professor who tells the story of her three-year-old son hearing this temptation story at church one day, she knew this because when they got home, he'd ask her, Mom, what do you know about the devil? <laughs> well, as a good professor, she kind of turned the question back to the little boy, and, and he answered, well, ask me, what do you know about the devil? And he said, well, the devil is mean. And the devil talked to Jesus. Well, as they talked to him about temptation, the little boy gave his mom an example. Maybe it's one he heard in their version of Young Disciples of Children's Church. Say you and Dad were, we were at the store, and you and Dad were, you were in one aisle, and I was in another, and there was candy. <laughs> candy. And the devil said, go ahead, take some. Okay, the mom said, and what would you say? And the little boy smiled and answered and said, I would say thank you. <laughs> Whether you're a candy-loving child or a disciple old enough to know better, learning lessons from this story of the temptation of Jesus, it can get tricky. The lesson we learn from the temptation of Jesus is not Flee from temptation, though avoiding it's a good idea because we're weak. The problem with that lesson is those who flee from temptation, well, those who flee from temptation generally leave a forwarding address. <laughs> it finds us elsewhere. You see, this is not a story about us. This is a story about Jesus. Yes, it's a story we can learn from, but let's consider the story first before we Look at what we can learn and how we can apply it. Did you ever wonder, what was it like for Jesus to be there out in the desert by himself? Well, there's a writer that <clears throat> Wesley McGee and I both like, he quotes fairly often, A.N. Wilson. He writes that he spent not 40 days and 40 nights, but one day, one night in the Negev Desert he had been abandoned by his driver. So he was on his own when he was a, a young man and he's out in the arid, rocky territory south of Jerusalem where the wilderness begins. The extraordinary cold and clarity of the night, the brightness of the stars above his head, the scorching heat of the day when the sun came up, the hunger and thirst which he felt until he was rescued by another Arab who happened to be bowling along in a dilapidated car. It was a jalopy, but he took the ride. Wilson said that this brief experience gave me just a small insight into what other writers, well, like T.E. Lawrence, whom you know better as Lawrence of Arabia, have said about the desert's capacity to simplify consciousness itself. Wilson was in the desert one day and one night. Can you just imagine fasting in the desert 40 days and 40 nights? And then along comes Satan with three temptations. The first and third start with that phrase that sounds like a dare, a dare for Jesus to prove it. If you are the Son of God. And the second temptation offered power over all the nations of earth. But it's a little payment. 
Just bend the knee, worship me, bow to me. I mentioned Walter Brueggemann fairly often. He's, he says that the devil who, who comes to Jesus is not a guy with a pitchfork, you know, like the cartoons always are, with kind of bat wings and all that, but rather the quiet voice of seduction that comes to us in the night and entertains us with scenarios of having a better life on other terms. There was a famous preacher named William Sloan Coffin who wrote that the devil rarely suggests that you do anything bad. Almost invariably, he suggests we do what appears to be good. He said these three temptations are for Jesus to compromise his calling by substituting the good in place of the best. If you look at them, what's wrong with having a little food once in every 40 days or so? It's not a bad thing. Another way to look at those three temptations in a way that what Jesus was tempted to do symbolized the three things that the, the people of Israel expected. That was their idea of a Messiah, someone who would take power. After all, get Rome off our backs. They, you know, the Roman army ruled them. The devil is always testing, urging us to be realistic, be reasonable, compromise your calling. So out in the desert in today's reading, the devil tries to seduce Jesus with the promise of bread when he's hungry, glory and power over, over all the leaders of the world. The promise of rescue paired with the suggestion God's not sufficient to keep you safe. All Jesus has to do is Worship Satan. I know that a lot of people don't really believe that there's a real devil in the sense of a, a person. But everybody I know knows something about the tempter, however you perceive that person, that entity. There's something that ev that's evil that tempts people to do bad things. Or in this case, the good thing when the best thing needs to be done. So you can say, well, it's all about bread, power, and safety, right? Well, maybe not. Another one of those preachers I like who used to be a seminary president said, his name is David Lost. He suggests looking at this story as telling us something not so much about these three specific temptations, but rather about the underlying nature of temptation itself. Lost suggests that temptation is not Temptation toward something, usually portrayed as doing something you shouldn't do. Oh, I shouldn't take that candy or I shouldn't steal that thing or whatever. But rather, it's the temptation away from something, away from our relationship with God and the identity that we receive through that relationship with God. Now, for centuries, the church has used a a question and answer kind of format that's called a catechism to teach new disciples about our faith. Some of us as young disciples learn the uh, questions and answers from the, what, the Westminster Confession of Faith that's called the Shorter Catechism. It starts, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify and enjoy God forever. What is a covenant is one of the questions. A covenant is agreement between two or more persons. So some of us learned a lot of things that way, even though there were some words that 
don't mean the same that they did hundreds of years ago. So there's a newer catechism that uh, our children learn called belonging to God. It starts with a few questions that speak to our identity. Who are you? I am a child of God. What does it mean to be a child of God? That I belong to God who loves me. What makes you a child of God? Grace. God's free gift of love that I don't deserve and I can't earn. Don't you have to be good for God to love you? God loves me in spite of all that I do wrong. How do you thank God for that gift of love? I promise to love and trust God with all my heart. How do you love God? By worshiping God, by loving others, by respecting what God has created. And consider just two more. What is special about human beings? God made us, male and female, in the image of God. What does it mean we're made in God's image? It means that we are made to reflect God's goodness, wisdom, and love. So when you, when you are out in the wilderness places in your life, and we all have them, when you are tempted away from trusting in God, you don't need to remember all the verses in Deuteronomy. You don't need to quote as much as you can remember. You just need to remember who you are, a child of God, and that you and I, we are made in God's image. That is, we're made to reflect God's goodness, God's wisdom, God's love. Thanks be to God. In this season of Lent, may God unsettle us. May God increase in us a nagging feeling that comes from honest awareness of the differences between the life we lead and the life to which God is calling us. Now may the Holy Spirit transform us in newness. May the love of God uphold you and the light of Christ guide you in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Fill you with joy now and forever. Amen.